Welcome to Dark Gate Horror Podcast, episode number 12. Today is Memorial Day in the U.S., which is generally thought of as the unofficial start of summer. This will be a short episode to kick off summer with a discussion of one of my favorite horror films. The Lost Boys was released by Warner Brothers on July 31st, 1987, in honor of the 20th anniversary in July. I'll review this fantastic film and discuss how it changed the horror genre, particularly how vampires were portrayed. This will not be a full discussion of vampires, just an introduction. As usual, I'll discuss everything about the film, so this is a spoiler alert. For those of you who aren't familiar, here's a synopsis. A divorced mother, Lucy Emerson, played by Diane Wiest, and her two teenage sons, Michael, Jason Patrick, and Sam, Corey Haim, move to live with their mother's father in a small California town of Santa Carla. It's based loosely on the city of Santa Cruz, California, plagued by problems with the motorcycle gang and unexplained disappearances. The older boy, Michael, is eventually drawn into a motorcycle gang because he feels attracted to the group's girl, Star, played by Jamie Gertz, and because he doesn't want to look less than their charismatic leader, David, played by the always great Kiefer Sutherland. After a sort of informal initiation ceremony with a gang involving dangerous activities such as motorcycle racing through the fog, Michael begins to hang out with them until he is made to drink blood in the guise of wine. They also made him eat rice, which they made him believe was maggots. Soon afterwards, he starts showing the symptoms of vampirism. He sleeps all day and starts hanging out with them all night. This lasts until they drive him into a real hunt and show him that he must kill in order to survive. This makes him react. With the help of Star, Laddie, a vampire child, and his brother Sam, who in the meantime has joined up with two relatively inept vampire hunters, Edgar, Corey Feldman, and Alan Frog, Jameson Newlander, he starts out to shake off the curse by finding and killing the head vampire. This proves more difficult than it seems and is not evident who the leader is. Sam and the Frog brothers try to prove that Lucy's boyfriend Max, played by Edward Herman, is the leader of the vampire gang, but their tests fail. Towards the end of the film, it turns out that Max is the leader. Their vampire test didn't work because Michael had invited Max into the house. Don't ever invite invite a vampire into your house, you silly boy, Max said to Sam at the end of the movie. It renders you powerless. Of course, the final battle ends up killing the vampires and the family is drawn together. But Grampy gets the last laugh saying, There's one thing about living in Santa Carla that I never could stomach. All the damn vampires. Taking us into the credits is a song, People Are Strange. So let's do some analysis. How did this film change the horror genre? I have to admit, I've seen this film several times since it, since I first saw the VHS in 1988. I even have one of the DVD versions. I grew up on this film. It's very nostalgic for me. There's not much of a plot or character development, two things I usually flock to. However, the soundtrack is excellent, and many of the stars were actors and actresses I fell in love with in the 80s, and still watch today, if they're acting, that is. There's humor, a lot of blood, and has some great scenes I'll never forget, like one of the best opening scenes in a horror film, where they pan across the the water and you see the boardwalk. It's just amazing. On the technical side, the film boasts excellent makeup and cinematography. What they made was a great-looking, flashy film on a very small budget and short shooting schedule. But this is just one girl's opinion. However, Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 74% fresh, which is a very high rating for a horror film. It was an instant success with horror's priority demographic, 
teenagers. However, it also appealed to adults and even won the Saturn Award for Best Horror Film in 1987. In essence, the film is part of a postmodern trend to transplant the European folklore of vampires into the new world that included 1987's Western Gothic New Dark and the suburban Fright Night of 1985. Such works paved the way for modern vampire movies and television series such as Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Incidentally, The Lost Boys was the first performance together of Corey Haim and Corey Feldman, who thereafter became known as the two Corys for their performance together in a range of teen movies. The Lost Boys is a good example of the successful crossing of several genres, teen angst, horror, comedy, romance, suspense, and drama. The things that really elevate The Lost Boys above the rest and ensure it a place in the almost classic realm is the superb cinematography from Academy Award nominee Michael Chapman, excellent vampire makeup effects from Academy Award winner Greg Canham, and above-par acting from the fresh and watchable teen cast, several of whom have proven their mettle and are still working today, like Kiefer Sutherland. A number of connections exist between the content of The Lost Boys and the later Josh Whedon critical and cult hit meta-series Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Some of these show the influence of the film on Whedon's later writing, while others are more of an interesting coincidence. The term vampout was created for this film. It went on to be used elsewhere, including the slang on Buffy. Kiefer Sutherland's father, Donald, played Buffy's first watcher, Merrick, in the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer feature film. This one is kind of a stretch to me, but it's been proposed that while Santa Carla is a fictional city, the real California city with the closest spelled name to it is Santa Clara, California. Santa Clara shares a city border with Sunnyvale, California, whose name has been noted as being strikingly similar to Sunnydale, California, itself the fictional setting of the vampire series. Wherever this is coincidental or intentional on the part of Wade and his staff writers is not known. There are literary and cultural allusions in the film. The name itself is an allusion to J.M. Barrie's book Peter Pan. In fact, the four most prominent vampires have names from the characters in the book. Also similar to Peter Pan, the gang members could fly without turning into bats. In the comic book store, there's a poster for Batman. In 1995, Joel Schumacher would go on to direct Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Lucy shares her name with Lucy Westernra from Bram Stoker's Dracula. Max's name is similar to that of Max Schreck, the actor who portrayed Count Orlock in Nosferatu. The names of the Frog brothers, Edgar and Allen, are a reference to Edgar Allan Poe, a well-known American horror writer. So let's briefly discuss the use of vampire lore. From Vampire Compendium, as a mythology, the vampire or vampire-like figures have appeared at one point or another in the folklore and or literature of nearly every culture and age. As a science, throughout recorded history, cases of rare and unusual blood disease, unpredictable chemical processes during the decomposition of a body after death, people who are mentally disturbed or psychotic and utilize some kind of blood ritual when engaging with victims, and real-life blood-sucking creatures known as such as the vampire bat, i.e. Desmond today, are all factors that have played a role in the universally acknowledged characters of vampirism. Although today, the vampire mythos has been largely popularized, commercialized, and is not, unfortunately, considered to be appropriate subject matter for serious literary work, it is difficult to identify any other mystical feature that is so widely recognized throughout the entire world. This, of course, makes the topic appear irresistibly seductive to the ambitious director. When the vast body of knowledge, literature, art, scientific information is taken into consideration, it would quickly appear that the ambitious director who sets out to make a vampire movie is faced with a conundrum of gargantuan proportions. For how can one possibly successfully incorporate such an expansive theme into a 90-minute movie? 
The Lost Boys is a perfect example of this paradox at work. For exactly one hour, 20 minutes, and 30 seconds, director Joel Schumacher, while demonstrating he is clearly knowledgeable in vampire lore, seems to defy the odds, and treats the viewer to what could have been, in my opinion, perhaps the best vampire movie of modern cinema. Unfortunately, at exactly one hour, 20 minutes, and 30 seconds into what has been a perfectly executed vampire movie, the concluding scenes begin what I can only think of as a complete aberration. With the commencement of the battle of the good guy, vampire slayers versus the bad guy vampires, the Lost Boy abruptly becomes a circus comedy act that completely defies all logic. For the first hour and 20 minutes had been a serious vampire story encompassing many of the most universal themes, abruptly degrades into just another typical vampire exploitation comedy. That's from towerweb.net slash vampires slash review underscore lost boys. I'll put the link in the show notes. So I have a couple articles that also give you some alternative views on the movie because people tend to be a little torn on this film. Monsters at Play, The Lost Boys Review by Lawrence P. Raffle. This is just excerpts. The thing about a lot of films from childhood is that they rarely stand the test of time. Most of these golden films from our youth go untouched for years. Then once we do decide to rediscover them, we can't help but wonder, what the hell was I thinking? I mean, sure, they can manage to hold on to some nostalgic value, and we can still derive some sort of enjoyment from them, but alas, the actual magic itself is quite gone and forgotten. Then there are films that truly do manage to stand the test of time. The films that we discover as youngsters and wind up revisiting well into our adult years. These are the films that remind us of our youth and what was so special about it and give us the feeling of innocence that we tend to lose as adults. And most of all, these are films that we truly do enjoy. And we enjoy these films because they are good movies, plain and simple. What makes The Lost Boys so special? Well, a lot, really. Just about everything this film has going for it works towards its own advantage. A serious attempt at a smart, sexy, cool, and most of all, hip vampire film geared towards a younger generation that never misses its mark. That's part of the key, a serious attempt that in the end doesn't take itself too seriously. And it works. As a matter of fact, The Lost Boys is the farthest thing from a serious horror film, so don't get expecting much in the way of classy vampires. What you should expect, though, is fun, colorful, pulpy, tongue-in-cheek horror comedy, and that's just fine with me. The real appeal here is how well The Lost Boys manages to mix each of these elements without coming across as pretentious or annoying. While there's carnage, the film is not overly gory. As a matter of fact, I'd wager that if this film were released today, it might even be given a PG-13 rating. Maybe. It's not surprising to discover that Lost Boys was originally geared towards a younger generation. Schumacher added a few adult touches, and in the end, a bit of harder Lost Boys was born. Comic books play an important role in the film. They serve as Sam and the Frog Brothers' primary source of info, and how to stop the bloodthirsty creatures of the night. Schumacher manages to take full advantage of this, as much as the Lost Boys manages to retain a cool comic book feel throughout. Exceptional use of costumes, set cinematography, and a ready, willing, and able ensemble cast make the Lost Boys what it is today, a truly great representative of the vampire subgenre. What an article. That's from monstersatplay.com, and again, link is in the show notes. All of these links will be. So let's go to a well-established website and see what they have to say about it, horror.com. This is a review um, from one of their editors, unnamed, on August 11, 2004. Again, just excerpts. 
The Lost Boys, the title and homage to Peter Pan, Natch, practically defines the era for flashy teen horror. I saw it when it came out in 1987 and remembered liking it, but not much beyond that. I see so many horror movies, they have to make a profound impression on me if I'm to remember beyond the basics. When I slipped the disc into my player, I breathed a sigh of relief. Although there are indeed some headbands and shoulder pads, there's nary a leg warmer in sight in The Lost Boys, hardly any Valley Girl slang, and fairly decent rockish soundtrack, thankfully void of bands like the Thompson Twins or Flock of Seagulls. The Vampire's Lair is sort of a teenage wasteland, replete with a huge portrait of Jim Morrison and a few well-placed surfboards. If their home seems more 60s than 80s, just remember them. most of them were teens when the doors ruled the airwaves, and Buffalo Kiolana ruled the waves. On the other hand, our young hero Sam's Lair, his bedroom, is dreadfully period-appropriate, boasting pictures of an androgynous-looking Molly Ringwald and a scantily-clad Rob Lowe. Although it's never ventured forth in the film, one does briefly wonder about the sexual orientation of Sam, who wears a t-shirt that says Born to Shop and sings a song in the bathtub which goes, I ain't got a man, I'm a lonely girl. A lot like the decade of the 80s itself, this quasi-horror flick prizes style over substance. But that doesn't mean it's not fun to break out the double-stuffed Oreos and root beer and revisit The Lost Boys for a little while. So like I mentioned, I have one of the DVDs, which is just the single-disc with a remastered soundtrack. However, there is a two-disc DVD out there, so let's talk about it. The new two-disc set is loaded with additional release material. One disc has the movie in widescreen format, an optional commentary from Schumacher. He's not the most dramatic speaker, but he's got his facts and anecdotes well in hand and delivers an informative and entertaining listening experience. Disc 2 is the one with all the bells and whistles. The retrospective featurette has new interviews with the Corys, Joel Schumacher, producer Richard Donner, DP Michael Chapman, Kiefer Sutherland, Edward Herman, who plays Lucy's boyfriend, and production designer Bo Welch. Other mini-docs include Inside the Cave, a look at the film's visual design, Comedy vs. Horror, a different look at vampires, How the Lost Boys supposedly offered a new twist in an old legend, a sequel... Fans have been clamoring, vamping out the undead creations of Greg Canham, and one of the more interesting than the usual makeup features, and Hamster and Fell Dog, the story of two Corys, short and more entertaining than I had expected. Another extra on this disc is the multi-angle commentary featuring your choice of Haim, Feldman, and Jameson, Numison, Jameson Newlander, who plays Alan Frog, for about 20 minutes of selected scenes. If that isn't enough to sate your Lost Boys' bloodlust, there are also assortment of 18 deleted scenes. None are accessible individually, they're arranged as one long medley. There isn't any commentary from Schumacher explaining why they were cut, but we can guess on most of them. Still, it's bound to be a lot of fun for diehard fans of the movie who've always wanted to see more. There is also a stills gallery with no less than 78 pictures and an interactive map called A World of Vampires, which touches on the legendary monster throughout history across the continents. This was one of my favorite features. Lastly, there is the music video for Lou Graham's Lost in the Shadows. Again, that little review is from Horror.com. On numbers, the film grossed over $32 million, a strong performance for an R-rated horror movie when it was released in the U.S. And the sequel. There has been talk of a sequel since the film was released. Several ideas have floated around through the years, although several films have mimicked the film, adapted it for their own use. A sequel has not been finalized. Until now. Early this month, Warner Brothers announced pre-production on the sequel of The Lost Boys going straight to DVD according to Movie Hole. 
According to IMDb, it's to be called The Lost Boys, The Tribe, and is to be released in 2008. Now, straight to video is never a good sign. The embarrassing excuse of a plot centers on surfing vampires in Southern California. It actually takes place in San Diego. Apparently, Corey Feldman was contacted to make an appearance. Hmm, whether or not he'll be there, who knows? This film is being directed by P.J. Pesci from Dusk Till Dawn 3 fame. Wait, there was a third one? I'm not holding my breath on this. Well, that finishes our discussion. The song of the night is Wave Goodbye by Steadman. Check it out at steadmanband.com. Enjoy. Life is one big stage And it's all the To go walking out To take a
Thanks for listening. I know I said I'd be discussing Final Destination next, but there's been a slight chain of plans. I'm still working on it, and it will be one of the next ones. However, the very next episode will discuss the Scream films. Take care. I'll talk to you soon. The music heard here is from the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. And don't forget to email me at darkgatehorror at gmail.com and visit my website at darkgatehorror.blogspot.com. 